0: Thank you for that. Thanks. Boy, I need to pray before I preach that song. was just so moving. Let's, let's just, a word of prayer. We say glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You who are enthroned on high. Over all creation, we praise you that not only are you the creator of all life, you are the sustainer of all life. You sustain us in this very moment, Lord God. And we praise you for that. Praise you that though you are a great and awesome God, you know each and every one of us personally individually you know our struggles our fears our insecurities and yet you love us you forgive us you renew us lord would you um, open our hearts this morning would you prepare us to receive your word we thank you for your presence in the midst of worship through music The gorgeous song just sang, Lord, thank you for your presence here. Lord, would you help my words uh, not to get in the way of what you want to say? We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. We live in Ridgeview at Stetson Hills, uh, a little bit east of this. And uh, our neighborhood, as probably many of you were, were hit a couple of years ago with a really bad hailstorm, where some of you hit with that. So it was like really bad. Uh, a couple of our cars, the windows uh, were broken, dented. Our house really took it on the chin. Uh, we had a uh, Praise God for insurance, right? We had to have the the roof redone. We had to have it it painted again. Some of our, uh, we had a a window in our front was broken out. Um, And so we had a lot of work that had to be done. A lot of houses did. Also, we have these green shutters. One's on the main level and one's on the second level, and they were damaged by the hail too, and there was a couple of slats that were maybe a few missing, some that were slightly off, but I really felt, you know, like it wasn't very noticeable, you you had, uh, I mean, you could look at it, and look at the house, and we did so much work, and plus what a hassle to, right, you know, climb up there and through the window or on the ladder and... Get them down and, and fi- match them, color and all that. I'm like, you know, I'm good with the shutters. I think we, we got the house painted, we got, yeah, so I, I, was, I was really good. A little while later, I get this letter, and it's from our Homeowners' Association. <laughs> and the letter says, "Your shutters are in violation. And my first thought was, how annoying is that? Shutters. And then my second thought was, can they do that? I mean, they're my shutters. If I prefer them to be a little broken, I think I get to decide that, right? Do that. Are they able to say that? So if you go to our neighborhood, on the primary entrances of our neighborhood, there's little signs. And uh, I took a picture of the sign there. And I used to read it, Ridgeview at Stetson Hills, a covenanted community. You know how I read that now? (laughs) Yes, we can tell you what to do with your shutters. That's how I read that. Now now look at that. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Covenanted community. Would you think for a moment there's a difference between what people would call a covenant and a contract? Right, a contract, if you enter into a contract, it's really most of the time has to do with goods and services rendered. We, pay, we paid for someone to, to paint our house. We did that. Um, they painted our house. We paid them, or insurance did. And so we fulfilled that contract. All right. A covenant has contractual elements to it. But really, a covenant is more about relationships. And how we agree to live together. All right? There's you could call it different depths of covenant, right? But we, we, it, when we, we sign or are part of covenant, we don't like fulfill it and then end, like a contract. It's saying, we will live in this way together. There's an element of binding together. So let me ask you this. Is a marriage a contract or a covenant? covenant. It's a covenant. Yes. Why? Be- because we're saying, I do. We are agreeing to live with one another in a particular way, right? And there's, there's benefits to a contract, but especially benefits to a covenant. So most of the time, I like living in a covenanted community. Why? If my neighbor's house looks all junky and they let it go, I know someone is saying something about that. If they're parking a large semi-truck in the park that we live across the street, it's happened. I know someone is saying, hey, you can't do that, right? If those large mobile homes, if they're parked there, if they want to paint their house in an obnoxious color, right? That's all good. I'm like, covenant baby, yeah. Uh, When it comes to my green shutters, (laughs) it's just annoying, right? But, But this idea, now let me ask you this question. For those of us who are believers, does God invite us to live contractually or covenantally? Yes. It's not a a contract. It's not simply an agreement. It's not goods or activities rendered therefore. It's a covenant. It's a relationship. It's how we live together. Here's my concern this morning. That many of us are living contractually with the Lord. Not covenantally. Many of us are saying, God, if you do that for me, I'll do this for you. Good? Yeah? Yeah? That that some of us are living simply by following or not following the rules that God has set out, that we we check the box, right? Oh, worship on occasion, month, month and a half, we'll go. Throw a few bucks in the offering, right? Try and be nice to a friend. Those kind of things, box checked. God, you know I'm doing good, right? You you said you'd treat me good if I did good. Good? As opposed to a relationship where we're engaging beyond the ritual, beyond the rule following, that, that we're learning And we're growing in a relational, covenantal experience of the one true living God. I'm concerned that many of us are living shallow Christian lives. Rather than the the depth in which God invites us every day, including this morning, with him. So we've been in the study of Abram. Would you turn with me to Genesis? We have been walking the, the first week in Genesis, we saw this beautiful call, this promise in Genesis 12 that, that God makes to Abram to, to bless him in many ways. Second week, we saw right early on in the same chapter, Abram stumble, right? We want to learn not only from Abraham's beautiful obedience, but also his stumblings and difficulties as well. This week, we're going to move past a story, a couple of chapters. I encourage you to read those chapters, 13, 14, on your own. But uh, uh, just a quick summation, Lot, his nephew, they separate. Then Lot gets captured by a king, and actually, Abram goes to war, and he rescues Lot and brings him back, all good, rich stuff in there, but um, we are going to focus in on chapter 15. And I'm going to warn you that this chapter as we read it is both a little gross and a little odd. Did you know the Bible sometimes can be gross and can be odd? Okay. However, despite it being gross and odd, I think there's some rich material that God has for us in Genesis chapter 15. So we'll start, Genesis 15 verse 1 reads, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. In fact, the word shield, I think a better translation is your sovereign. I am your sovereign, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Remember, chapter 12, he promised that he would be a great nation. He promised him uh, um, a nation, great nation, he promised him land, and up to this point, he's not really seen any of it. Then the word of the Lord came to him This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood. <coughs> Will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Real visual to the promise. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. If you have your own Bibles and a highlighter, right, highlight that verse six. Very important. perhaps one of the most important verses in the Old Testament, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram had said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. To help us enter into the passage, I've brought a goat and a chainsaw just to illustrate no, all right? It's kind of gross, right? We'll talk about it. But but just get in your mind, right? He he cuts two animals, separates the two halves in that way. And for effect, a little bit of carcass, uh, the, the birds are coming, he's flying away, right? This is a real deal happening. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, no, (coughs) excuse me, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country and not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Prophetic word. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Interesting verse. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. When the sun had set and the darkness fallen, a smoking fire pit with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. It's getting a little Harry Potterish here. Let me, let, me, let me read that again. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, imagine it in your mind, appeared and then passed between the pieces of the carcasses. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he said to your descendants, I give this land for the wadi, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites. I'm just gonna skip all that, just ites. If they last name is ites, that they get their land, okay? Life lights. So, I think we're good. Can we communion? Is that... Are we, are we all right with that? It, it is an odd passage, isn't it? It, it's, it it's seems so ancient and, and so distant, and yet I felt like the Lord was speaking such a, a fresh word in terms of teaching us what covenant living looks like teaching us what this idea of faith work walk means, teaching us what the Lord is inviting, was inviting Abram to in that moment, and what he's inviting you and I to, the the kind of life, the kind of relationship he calls us to. Verse 1 was uh, somewhat... Piercing to me, especially when you read it as sovereign. Look at verse one again with me. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your sovereign. Your very great reward. In other words, he's saying, I am your reward. Our faith walker, A key part of it, the Christian faith walk, is that at the center of this walk is a personal relationship with the Lord. Think of it this way. Remember the promise he has for Abraham... Uh, in particular, he, he's going to bless Abram's socks off, right? With, with, with kids, with, with a heritage. He's gonna be a great nation with expansive land, with wealth, everything, all of this. He's probably, I'm gonna bless you, Abram. Your, your, your role in this kingdom of God is incredible. And yet, beyond all those things, At the center of all that blessing, all that favor, all that abundance and inheritance, he says, I, the Lord says, I am your very great reward. Of all the tribes, the the 12 tribes of Israel, do you know there was a tribe called the Levites? And when he was giving out the portions of land, The Levites didn't get any land. Do you know why? The Lord said, I will be your portion. They were going to be the priests. said, and and, and that's a, a better thing than any land you could have. A- any, any blessing, I'll be your portion. In fact, the, the psalmist would pick that phrase up. It's a, a number of, it's, it's, it's woven through, Lord, you are my portion, woven through the songs and the prayers uh, of, of the Israelites. Psalm 73, 26 is particularly beautiful. My flesh and my heart may fail, I may lose everything but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. It's a song that became really dear to me by Daryl Evans, and he entitled the song, You Are My Portion. I would love to hear the worship team do this as an offering sometime. Um, But he writes this, though I may not wear the garments of princes, you are my portion You are my portion, for you clothe me in your righteousness. You are my portion, you are my portion. Though I may not sit at the table of kings, you are my portion, you are my portion, for you feed me from the abundance of your hand. The reason why the song was so very personal to me and favorite, if I can Be painfully honest with you for just a moment. In the the darkest moments of the divorce that I went through about ten years ago, when when it felt like everything was being lost, that um, my my kids, um, my marriage, um, even my calling and ministry. It all seemed to be taken away. And um, there was a moment where I felt utterly powerless. I was doing all that I could to fight for this, and yet all seemed to be taken away. And I was lamenting over this loss or the prospect of this loss. And I felt like the Lord said, No one can take me away from you. And I also felt like he said, I want that to be enough for you. And I, in prayer, I was able to say, okay, that's enough. That's enough. You're my portion. You're my portion. And if I ever write a book of my experience, one of the chapters will be You Are My Portion. Because what I learned is the lesson is everything in this world, he's calling me, no matter how important the relationship is, No matter how significant what I I believe is the calling or ministry, everything in this world, he's calling me to, to hold with open hands before him. And if he allows or causes things to be taken away, I need to be okay with that. And yet, when it comes to Jesus, I don't hold Jesus with an open hand. I cling on to him with everything I've got. And he's promised that he will not allow anything in heaven or on earth or in hell to remove that relationship. That no one can take away God as my portion. Everything else is just Gravy. Is God your portion this morning? Have you learned that lesson that everything in your life, he, He's like I, that. Yes, I, He has these beautiful plans, the, this abundant life, this the, these. Yes, He has all of that. But but our response is trust. We hold all of those these things with open hands. Jesus alone we cling to a we we bulldog Jesus we don't let go of his garments but everything else we give to him he was saying that to abram i believe he's saying that to you and i and remember this is the new covenant in the new covenant it's not just the leaders it's not just the prophets the kings Right? It's, it's not just the leaders of God's church that, that get this kind of covenant relationship with Jesus. Every one of us gets to play. Every one of us gets to pray. Every one of us gets the spirit of God. Every one of us, great and small, no matter who we are, rich and poor, we get the spirit of God. We get to walk with God as our portion. Don't say it's not for you. It is for you. He wants to be your sovereign, your great reward. Second lesson. We move on from verse one. We realize here's the crux of this odd passage. The crux of this odd passage is Abram from a place of faith He's asking for assurance. He's asking for clarity to this call. I think that one of the lessons in our faith walk is that we get to ask, like Abram, for assurance and clarity. He's talking about his servant. And in other words, he's wondering, Lord, you've made this promise and I'm gonna be a great nation did it not mean uh, my own seed? Did it not mean my own sons or daughters? Did it mean that you're going to take a servant because that's what they did? And and you can hear in Abram's request, he's like, if that's it, boy, I'm going to be really disappointed, God. I mean, can I, I I trust you, I believe you, but am I going to have, I mean, Sarai and I are, are getting older and we're a little bit older. And I think it's so beautiful how God responds to Abram. God, perhaps it surprised you, some of you. God does not say, are you asking me? Are you doubting? Are you, what, what gives you the goal to, to ask that? There's none of that in this passage, right? He, 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 he responds in, in this, well, I was gonna say beautiful way, but cutting animals in half isn't really beautiful, but he, he responds in this affirming way. Look at verse eight. Abram says, how can I be sure of this? Again, God does not respond with, with condemnation. How could you ask me that? He responds with affirmation. He responds with, again, making promises. Again, saying, would you trust me, Abram? Here's the lessons, I believe. We get to bring our struggles, our insecurities, our need for assurances to the Lord. Why? Because we're not in a contractual agreement. We're in a relational, covenantal relationship with the Lord. We get to bring those insecurities and those struggles to him. Now, now here's an important note. Abram does this in such a way that he brings it from a place of faith. He's not coming from a place of irreverent testing. There's a huge difference, right? He's not saying, yeah, you said I'd get land and chid, children. Nothing, nothing. It's a huge difference from what Abram does here. He says, in essence, I, I trust you. I, I'm with you, but I'm struggling. It, 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 it's been, are you sure? Did, did you mean what you said? a is it the servant? Is it, have I placed my hopes in the wrong place? Did you not say that? Help me. You, you see the, the huge difference between the irreverent challenging to God as opposed to a place of faith. And God invites us in faith, from a place of faith, to bring our insecurities To bring our questions. I'd even use the word doubt. That he can handle the doubt. From that place of faith. Bringing our struggle and doubt. Some of us have been afraid to bring those prayers to the Lord. Through Abram he's saying bring them to me. I'll hear them. I, I won't respond with condemnation and judgment. I'll speak to you, I'll walk with you, I'll talk to you. A lot of you know uh, Gideon and the story of putting out the fleece. That was my, I was going to go there. But there's a a lesser known story, which I really like, that some of you might have not heard uh, from scripture. It's about a king, Judah, Ahaz, And he's wrestling because you've got all these kings that they are lining up and they're going to destroy Judah. And he is quaking in his boots, right? And so Isaiah, the prophet, comes to Ahaz, the king. And he's going to tell him, trust God. You're going to be okay. Okay. And then he's even going to invite him to give him a sign. So I'm I'm reading from uh, Isaiah 7 as it tells the story. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. He's telling Ahaz through Isaiah, ask me for a sign. In other words, ask me for assurance. You can do this. Right? Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I, uh, I will not put the Lord to the test. He's saying that back to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah says, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? In other words, Isaiah is calling him annoying. He said, I told you to ask for a sign. And I didn't know that. You don't tell me what's a test and what's wrong. No, God is telling you, ask for a sign. I was wondering how often we, God finds us annoying. All right? I mean, you all—not as much me—but you know, just where he's like, "Come on! I'm telling you this. Listen to me." He asks for a sign. Listen to the sign he gives. Part of the reason why I love the story. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The Virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel. So God gave him. Ahaz, the sign of a miraculous birth. And then he also used that as a prophetic word of our Savior who was to come. Isn't God cool? Isn't that neat? And if Ahaz wouldn't have asked for assurance or a sign, we wouldn't have gotten that. Well, God would have found a way around it. But still, right? He, you see that? This, that is part of the faith that, that God, the, the faith walk that God invites us to again. It's a, this covenantal relationship where he says, I, I'm asking you to walk with me in this relational way. That leads us to, to kind of the oddities of this chapter and what's going on. And in fact, it has profound significance that this this ritual, the ceremony of a covenant it is about live in covenant, not in contract. Live in relationship with God. Verse 18, it says, On that day God made a covenant with Abraham. Or Abram. The, the, the literal translation of the word made is actually cut. God Cut a covenant. So what's going on? In ancient culture, this was a familiar practice. This was a way in which, say, two kings were were making some sort of a, a treaty or an understanding of how they and their nations, their people, would live together, perhaps if they were nations together. They would cut a covenant. They would cut animals and separate it and they would walk through kind of like a ceremony there. Understand? Uh, Sometimes a king would cut a covenant with uh, his subjects, vassals, the the followers, all right? And there would be times as part of the ceremony, they would separate animals, and they would walk down through that like a ceremony. So when God says collect a heifer and a goat and so forth, Abram doesn't go, what are you talking about, God? What? What? Cut animals? That's gross. That's how we respond. But that was familiar. Here's the surprising part to Abram. Is that this wasn't between two kings. This was the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, cutting a covenant with a person, creating, binding himself to someone who was part of the creation. It was the Creator cutting a covenant and binding himself, making promises to part of creation. We don't get the details, but Abram might have gone, wait, wait, what? You're going to cut a covenant with me? Who am I that you would be mindful of this covenant? The word covenant is a a Latin phrase. It it, um, roots in a Latin word. It simply means this. A coming together. It involves promises, responsibilities, commitments, and agreements. It's a binding yourself often to another. So for example, Jonathan and David in the Old Testament, that they had a covenant together as two people. Now, it's not just a marriage Uh, Sometimes we see covenant in marriages, but also it can be between two people. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, "'May the Lord call David's enemies to account.' And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself." In a covenant involves love, a binding together, a shared life with one another. The big deal is the one true living God wants to cut a covenant with you and I. He wants to bind his life to you and I in love. He wants to share promises. He wants to share commitments and responsibilities. He wants to share life with you. This is the language that he uses. He uses language not of simply subject and follower, not when I say jump, you say how high. That's not the language. As you look in the Old Testament, and especially the new, you'll see the language of love. You'll see the language of marriage, of covenant. For example, Jeremiah 3.18, how he sees our relationship. The, the, The Israelites were so rebellious at one point this is what he says to them. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. All the disobedience that was happening in there, he's saying those are adulteries. You're, you're betraying me. Listen to, listen to his language about his love for us. The Lord appeared, this is Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You see how that's covenantal relationship. That's covenantal language. He doesn't want you to simply be an obedient servant. He's offering to be the lover of your soul. He's offering to to walk intimately with him. And I'm concerned that we're missing this incredible invitation of covenant and relationship. Think of it like this. In a marriage... I've walked with a number of couples, oftentimes struggling in their, in their marriage. They've described their relationship as one couple, actually, a couple of couples, we're roommates. One couple I'm thinking of was married over 15 years, and they said, We, we have no intimacy, not really love, any shared. We're, we're just, we don't even have companionship. We're, we're just roommates. It's the state of their marriage. Another marriage I know, they, they saw themselves as, as business partners, even if it was business of the family, they, right? They, they raised kids, they paid the bills, they even worked together. It wasn't much of a, a marriage. With, with Kendra, I don't want her to be simply my business partner. I want her to be my lover. Can I say that in front of you? Yeah? All right. But you get the idea. I, don't, I, I am not satisfied if we simply don't fight. That's not good enough for me. I, I'm not satisfied if we just pay the bills and, and, and raise the kids. To, no. No. I want her to be my lover. Why? Because we have a covenant together not a contractual agreement. We're sharing one another's hearts. Friends, the covenant that God offers to you is greater than a marriage covenant. He just uses that as the best example of the relationship that he wants with you. And oftentimes, I, I think he's saying, "I don't. That's not enough. I don't. I don't want you to just cross the Ts and dot the Is. I don't want you to just do the occasional rituals. I want you to. I want to walk with you as the lover of your soul. I want to be your portion." You see, just as those couples can live in whatever way in those marriages, roommate business parter, partners, or lovers. So we can walk in that way with the Lord in all those different ways. But when he cuts the covenant, that, that's how you understand the, uh, the Harry Potter moment of this floating fire pot with a torch in the middle. That's like really odd, right? It's like goes through the carcasses. You know what that floating torch And that fire pot represent God himself. God himself. He puts himself in the ceremony. He says, I'll walk through just like if two kings were to walk through or a wedding. You can think of lighting the unity candle. It's not quite as gross as cutting carcasses, right? There's a a beauty there, but it's the two partners in the covenant. They share in that ceremony. So God, as a fire pot and this flaming torch, he goes through the carcasses as our covenant. Partner. in other words he's saying that's the kind of relationship I want with you alright last lesson final lesson we get to communion is our faith walk we have a role to play and that role to play is different because this covenant is different because it's with God not with another human being our role is to believe to live by faith verse 6 in the Old Testament I told you to highlight that one that's quoted four times in the New Testament the, the apostles continue to go back to the significance of verse 6. In other words, they're, they're debating with Jewish leaders and, and sometimes we all believe, we, we can fall into this very easily that the, the Christian life, we earn salvation by what we do. If we're good enough, we get into heaven. If we're good enough, if we do the things, the right things, better more than bad things, then we're good with God. And God says, you can't do it. You're way too messed up. You're way too messed up. You can't do it. It's only by faith. That's your role, is to trust. Would you trust? I mean, Abram, the father of our faith, right? The one that we look to. In the same chapter, he stumbles and lies, right? We can't do it. We're going to stumble. Our role is to believe What God says to us is to have faith. That's the only role we have. And then, now many people miss this, especially from the Apostle Paul, that it doesn't, he's not rendering works and life insignificant. He's saying what you do matters, but what you do should flow from the covenant relationship. That you have with me the, the simple rendering of faith, uh, um, trust and obey. Trust and obey. The, the you don't gain salvation by what you do, you only enter into the kingdom of God by saying, God, I believe you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you cover all my sins. I believe that you grant me your Holy Spirit and you give me new life. I trust you. And then our lives flow from that. He says, listen, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. When you're neglecting faith living, when you've got green shutters that are broken and you're supposed to fix them, I'll let you know. I'll send you a letter. I'll have a sermon for you. I'll have a song that'll get you. I'll let you know because what you do matters. But I'm inviting you. Stop living as a person that's not in a covenant relationship. Live from that place. I don't live as a single man anymore without kids. That's what temptation is. Am I tempted to do that sometimes? Absolutely, I'd like to live as a single man and not all the responsibilities. I can't do that. Why? Because I'm in a covenantal relationship with my wife. And we have kids. I have to live. Stop living like you don't have this covenant relationship with God. But live in a covenantal way. To pray with me. Father, I'm so glad that we don't have to sacrifice animals today. So glad that you you became our sacrificial lamb for all time. That you were death on the cross, you sat down at the right hand of the Father so that we get to enter into anew this covenant. Lord, we thank you that we get to bring before you our green shutters the ways that we have not been living within the covenant we've made with you.